1: Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hello, Dr. Amy. How are you? I'm excited. And you know why. I love it whenever we talk to students.
0: I know. It's that season where students are available to us. But I like the topics. We're finishing up our topic, but does it ever finish? But this series on belonging. And so we get to talk to a group of teacher candidates about their experience as being English learner language students.
1: And these students are primarily elementary education candidates. John Ruiz is in ESL bilingual education. He's been a peer mentor for the Center for Junior Year and he specializes with education majors. He's been a student teaching intern at Crete Monet and he'll be student teaching there in the fall. And he started at a community college as did Edith uh, Marinas, who got her associates at Moraine Valley and worked as a paraprofessional for two years. Then she transferred to GSU and is student teaching in the fall as well at a middle school and is working on her middle grades endorsement, ESL certification, and bilingual endorsement. And Yasmin Remigio is, again, elementary education, and all of these students with us today are the first in their families to be graduating from college. Welcome to our podcast. Thank
0: Welcome, y- Yasmin. Edith, how are you today? Good, and you? Good. And I know we're going to talk about being an ELL student, being first generation and belonging, but even within that, you guys are still a diverse group of teacher candidates. I can't wait to learn more about your story. We did interview John in our first season about male teachers, and that was dynamic. Thank you, John. So we're glad that Yasmeen and Edith, that we get to talk to you today about your experience. And Yasmeen, I do recall you're also a mother. So you're working full-time, you're in school, and you're a mother, correct? Yes,
2: that's correct.
0: Wow. So, I mean, you are a rock star in my eyes. I remember the days when I was working on my doctorate degree, trying to juggle full-time job, full-time family, right? And a house and all, and going to school. So I can relate. But thank you for taking the time to be with us. I do have a question because I pr- I'm probably going to say ELL a lot in this conversation. And then it actually starts to make me feel uncomfortable when I'm saying it. So, English language learners, do you identify? yourselves as English language learners, either now or in the past?
3: I believe with that term, uh, hearing from multiple perspectives, some people get offended because uh, it's uh, lowering their expectations. Recently, I took a bilingual education course. They replaced that term to emergent bilinguals to give, which, which is the same it has the same definition, but it gives an encouragement for uh, students who, who their first language is not English, and they're starting with their journey.
0: Yeah, it, it does give it a different twist, doesn't it, John? A little bit because I, you remember, it was limited learner. You know, it had the yes. word limited. So Mm -hmm. the ELL has gotten away with the limited, and I think they wanted to keep the acronym, you know? (laughs) How does it make you feel, Edith and Yasmeen, and what would be a better description?
4: I feel like for me, when I think of an English language learner, I don't find it being offensive. I feel like it's just a way of putting a label on students. And I feel like a lot of students don't like the idea of like having their peers know that they're English language learners. So I do like the I do like the fact that they are changing it even like with what John said like in our bilingual um courses like they were talking about like renaming it emergent like bilingual students so like I like that term better I feel like it defines the students more because they are emerging like they will hopefully acquire English as a second language
0: What about you Yasmin
2: I personally, when I was younger, when I would be pulled out of the for EOL, I used to hate it because I felt like there was something wrong with me, for the reason of them pulling me out so much. And up, now that I'm older, I understand it better and have a better like perspective towards it. And like with me working with students, bilingual students, and when they have personally tell me that they don't like it because they feel like they're considered being labeled as a dummy. And I try to explain to them that don't feel that way because it's not. I'm like, I understand what you what you mean because I felt the same way. But I'm like, but once you get a better understanding, like you, I'm like, don't picture yourself as a dummy because you're not.
0: Right. And there is a certain stigma, right, that comes with it. And those are things that you remember for the rest of your life. When I was teaching. And even when I was a student, teachers would identify you sometimes even by dinosaurs or animals or different things just to identify different levels. But, hey, it didn't take long for the people who were dinosaurs to realize, oh, we got pea-sized brains. That's why we're dinosaurs. You know, she doesn't want to call us the slow group. So students can very easily recognize when they are being identify for some particular reason and it becomes a stigma for the rest of their lives
1: and yasmin you started touching on this a little bit and i'm going to use the emergent bilingual term because that does sound a lot more positive like you are almost reaching another level as opposed to you know leaving behind one i don't know what that but there is that positive connotation. But Yasmin, you were starting to touch on this a little bit. Maybe the rest of you can speak more to it. Have you ever felt different being an emergent bilingual or multilingual student as you were in your early years of education or even now in college?
3: Yes, I had. Nice. I have to admit, when I was younger, I experienced it more. I I could recall a time that they separated the only English classrooms with the bilingual slash ESL classrooms, and sometimes they divided us up. When it comes to recess or sometimes uh, interacting with different classrooms, I actually remember that sometimes they divided us up and it didn't really benefit our exposure with english and later on in the same school that i started with my language development they started to realize that mistake then they had to integrate both english-only uh, classrooms and multilingual classrooms and which i really appreciate because it could give me more exposure more more interactions with there's always something to learn doesn't matter if you're proficient in English, there's always something to learn. And I'm, I'm glad they're, they're doing this. But at the same time, there are other schools that still have that division.
1: And Ada, if you're nodding as John's talking about these experiences, can you share?
4: Yes, I feel like with me and John, I feel like we share a lot of the same experience when I was in elementary school our classes were always divided. So it was like the bilingual courses were on the left side of the hallway. And then all of the English courses or like the English speaking classes were on the right side. So I felt like that always, there was always that division of students. And I feel like even when it came to like playing at recess or like when it came to like sitting in the lunchroom, I felt like we were isolated because we spoke Spanish. Like that was our first language. And I felt isolated more by like my peers or like by the other students who were more proficient in English because they thought that because we were bilingual, we didn't understand like what they were saying. So they kind of just isolated us, especially like when it came to recess, they would be like, oh no, we, you can't talk to them. They won't understand you. But you know, like in my head I'm like, but I do understand you. Like I know simple directions. Like I know what you're saying, but like a lot of like the peers, you know, like during recess, they would just like, ignore us, like they would just kind of isolate us. And I felt like that was hurtful. I feel like that was the time in my life where I did feel like I didn't belong because I was an English language learner.
1: I wanna ask now, and you ask me, maybe you can start us out. How do your experiences as a college student compare with those early education experiences? Are they different,
2: similar? I think it's different for for me. It's different. I mean, compared to how I felt about it about back when I was younger, because now it's like, well, maybe from from the people that I came across, they tend to be more helpful and they understand. I mean, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up in a Spanish speaking home. I was in my home, it was more English. My grandfather was pure Spanish, uh, fluent Spanish. So he would talk to us in Spanish. And I mean, I understood what he would say to me, but I would interact back with him in English. But like, as far as a like, college experience, I don't have no like difficulties with that. Like, I'm actually learning from, cause I think I'm like, oh, I'm like pure English speaker, I'm fluent. But then I notice that I'm still make mistakes because people are correcting me. Like, no, you're supposed to say it like this. And I'm like, oh, okay, thank you for correcting me. Cause I didn't know I was speaking, using words incorrectly.
0: So I, I have a follow-up question, asking about parents because from your parents and now you are a parent and from my experience being an administrator, we had low participation parent participation from our non-English speaking parents Mm -hmm. and a lot of the feedback when we did a survey the parents said there's no one that answers the phone in Spanish or if I come to the front office there's no one there to speak that speaks Spanish and therefore they feel shut off immediately Talk about maybe your parents' experience when you were in school. Did they encounter any of that? Did the school make them feel belong and embrace them? And how do you deal with those things as a parent now?
2: As a parent now, I mean, I feel like a lot of schools lack, like, the school district where my kids go to, I feel it does lack a lot of having someone to interpret for especially for non-English speakers and where because I understand English and I'm able to recite when people communicate to me but it's it is hurtful to see that they I feel like every school district should have a translator for a lot of parents because it's like I've been told many times with the school district I work with, I'm the translator there for that school. And a lot of parents have come to me and told me that they really appreciate me working there because it was a lack of not having someone that's able to interpret to them. And they felt as like they were being shut down, like they didn't know anything that was going on about their child, about their grades. Like It's just, and I feel like it's unfair for them.
0: Edith, what about you? Did your parents experience anything similar?
4: Yeah, I feel like for my parents, I feel like when I was a student, it really it I, for me, it would like make me upset because they weren't as involved like as I wanted them to be. And it wasn't because they didn't want to. It was just because they wouldn't be able to like understand when we would have like reading nights like those were like activities that I really wanted my parents to attend to. But they would like, you know, tell me, like, realistically, Edith, like, we're not going to understand what they're saying, you know, like, we're going to sit there during the presentation. And it's like, we want to be involved, like, we want to answer questions and communicate, but like, we can't. So there's really no point in going. So I felt like my parents, there were so many opportunities for them to be involved, like, in school. But because of there was nobody there who could translate or nobody who can at least like give a presentation in Spanish, it was like, it kind of discouraged them, like, They were like, well, there's no point in going, you know?
0: Yep, I I get it. John, what about your parents?
3: I had encountered, you know, something similar like Aether and Yasmin, But some of the, I think one of the biggest stigmas that my parents have encountered is that not having a translator and having, receiving phone calls Mm
1: -hmm. from the
3: school. And And my dad always thought, Hey John, what do you do? What did you do this time? I did. I did. (laughs) And and most of the time I had to I'm the oldest and there were times for my younger siblings. They didn't have like a translator or nothing like that. And I have to step in, which I don't mind, but at the same time I wish they had more language support for, you know, non-English speakers.
0: I like that you guys have this diverse experience and some of you are second and third generation or maybe even fourth generation. When I was teaching in middle school science, I had all non-English speaking students. And so I can attest to a lot of what you're saying. And what we saw then was a huge achievement gap with Hispanic students. And now we have really evolved. Uh, and now we're closing that achievement gap. We have a large number of Latino students going to college now. That, as I said, that achievement gap is shrinking. You're almost right there with your white counterparts, and it took a long time to get there. I think one of the reasons that attributed to that gap was the inability for parents to communicate with schools, to find out what was going on with you, to see if John was in trouble, because John was probably interpreting those phone calls that he got an award that day. And, and, and the parents had to believe, I mean, they were getting messages through you. mean, one of the things you said, I heard you say was that your grandfather would speak in his home language to you and you would respond in English. So I see more and more of that with third generation, fourth generation. Tell me what that is about. When you are an emergent bilingual student, because I want to be an emergent bilingual student. (laughs) When you are an emergent bilingual student, do you feel the pressure to leave your language behind or do you, try or do you want to embrace both languages and cultural cultures equally
2: well at that time when I was younger I really did not want to speak my like Spanish language because I felt like I was not fitting in the in the in the world with only English speakers and all I wanted to do was just talk in English and but as I grew, as I grow older, grew older and I met my husband and my parents-in-law speak only Spanish. So it's like when I met them, it was like they would talk to me in Spanish and I'm like, I would understand them. But then when I have to talk back to them, I'm like, oh my God, like what do I say? Like, <laughs> how do I say this? So it's like I had to pick up, pick back up on my Spanish speaking in order to communicate with my parents in law. And even up to now, I was like, I tell my husband, like, I actually appreciate learning how to speak Spanish and English both at the same time, because it's, it's important. It's something special to have.
0: What about you,
4: I feel like for me, I kind of same thing as Jasmine. I feel like for me at the beginning, I was starting to learn English a little bit more. So my Spanish was like kind of starting to fade a little bit, which was kind of scaring my mom because with my older brother, she allowed him to go into like full mainstream english courses and his spanish like now even up to this date like is still really bad like he doesn't know how to write in spanish he can like read certain words in spanish or like when it comes to communicating like he's like oh like how do you say this in spanish again and it's just like you know it's it's crazy to believe that you know because we thought that english is the dominant language it doesn't mean that you should leave you know your first language behind So I was grateful that my mom continued to have me in dual language. So I was able to maintain my Spanish language and English as well. So I was really grateful for that because I do feel like even with my family members, like we only speak Spanish. So it's really easy for me to shift. Like even at school with like my college um, peers, they're, they're like, Edith, how can you shift so easily between like Spanish and English like right away? And I was like, I've just had so much practice with it
3: from my experience when I was younger, I had to make a decision because like during that time, I didn't know which which language is important. And one of my third grade teachers t- told me, hey Johnny, both of both Spanish and English is important. Both of them are so- superpowers. That was what she told me during that time. And I do agree because it helped me with many opportunities. Even in my LinkedIn, I received messages, hey, are you bilingual? And and those are the type of opportunities of, of learning both languages and, and also something relating to either experience. My Spanish started to fade away, but my mother she encouraged me in high school while my cousins were t- taking French or, or other languages. Hey Johnny, I really, I really want you to work on your Spanish. Take Spanish courses from your freshman year and senior year. So I took them, and I'm more fluent in comparison to my consents every time i go to mexico they they rely on me for interpreting or for translation
1: so you bring up some really good points about the opportunities that two language can present i mean just your linkedin communications are opportunities and i know that you're seeing those apparent because i if all of you aren't going for ESL bilingual education, hmm, maybe you should. There are lots of opportunities there. I wanna add another layer because we don't shy away from challenges on this podcast, but it's to help us learn. It's always to see how the university and how us as teachers can be better and better serve our students. So I do wanna add a layer in here about first generation college student. So what are some challenges you have faced with being both first generation college students as well as English learners, or I should say emergent bilingual students? Yasmeen,
2: you wanna start us off? I mean, some challenges. I mean, it's it's a big challenge for me. Because not only, you know, I'm being a first college graduate, first person to complete college, and I just want to show, like, my parents that I'm able to accomplish anything. And as a a Spanish speaker, I mean, it is rough as well because sometimes, like, when my professors are explaining an assignment, I I tend to start, like, notice myself confused in certain words that they how they interpret certain phrases and I'm just sit there blank with a blank stare and it's like I sometimes I'd be embarrassed to ask questions like can you repeat yourself but like in a like more like simpler way where I could understand it and I know I'm trying to pressure myself to don't be that way. Don't be scared to speak up to get a better explanation where I'm able to understand it because it's like some of the words may seem a little bit harder for me to understand. And I tend to confuse it up with also with the Spanish language when which they don't have like the same meaning as I be thinking they do.
1: And you bring up a good point that,
2: so there's a language piece
1: But often a student who doesn't have generational experience, like parents who have been to college, might be shy about asking questions or getting clarification because, oh, well, college students aren't, are are supposed to know this piece of knowledge or this way of doing things. So there's that double-edged sword of, you know, the two experiences. Eden, what
4: about you? I feel like for me, one of the challenges that I faced was going to college, like being the first person in my family to go. And it was, you know, it was a new experience. It was a little scary. And it's like, I want that feedback from my parents. Like if I were to tell them like, hey, like, I'm thinking about this college or I'm thinking about this, like, what do you think? And they would be like, well, we really don't know. Like, we can't really help you. Like, you know, we came from Mexico the farthest they get, they went into education was sixth grade. So they're like, we really don't even know like where to start. Like we don't know what it means to fill out a college application. We don't know like how to help you. Like, you know, try to find somebody that can help you. And I felt like it was a little difficult for me. Like that was probably my biggest challenge, like moving on by myself because I feel like I wanted my parents' help, but I knew that they couldn't help me. And even now, like just getting their support is very helpful because it's like, I overcame that challenge of moving on by myself and trying to figure it out, like, on my own. And now that I have their support, like, I feel like it helps me, like, it, it was worth it. Like, I know it was a really big challenge for me to move from high school to college, and then from college to a university. But I'm really grateful that they were there at least to support me. Like, I know they tried, like, they tried, like, when I would explain things to them in Spanish, like, I would tell them, like, you know, these are some of the options I have, like, what do you think? So then, you know, they tried to like walk me through it, but they're like, we really wish we could do more. But like, we really don't even know like the first process when it comes to applying to a college or a university. So I feel like for me, that was my biggest challenge.
3: For me, similar like Edith and Jasmine is access of information. Before I went back from school, I actually dropped out from a community college because I didn't know how to pay for it. I didn't know nothing about financial aid. I had to work in a full-time job juggling full-time classes. And also, like, being first generation, I'm not sure about Edith and Yasmin. I actually ignore my passion. Like, I mentioned this from the previous interview that we only focus on the salary because coming from myself like a low income first generation college student I had to learn it by my own I had to learn how to speak up how to manage my time and also networking I actually had to leave my comfort zone like to network with different people try to ask questions ask for help and sometimes, like my parents, they don't know the struggles, like being a first generation college student. There are times that I don't have no sleep. There are times that I stay on campus right now. I'm on campus
4: uh-huh.
3: from early in the morning and when the when it closes because I have to invest my time on studying and and I'm not sure for anyone had experienced this but like they they see that like I know my parents do care for my health I do appreciate that but at the same time like it's not like your typical primary middle school or high school experience both university and college is way different comparison Yeah, yeah
0: you're right and they may not understand the demands because as a first generation college student myself Parents don't always understand the demands of going to a university. And Yasmin, especially you, it's not only your parents, but your husband and your kids, and you dividing your time and having to have that balance. And when you come from little means, as you talked about, John, you have to work really, really extra hard. And sometimes you feel like you have to work harder than everyone else just to achieve a little bit, but it builds character because you know what you're aiming for. All of you seem to have really embraced being bilingual as a superpower. That's something you've had to learn later on, Yasmeen, but you've embraced it as being a superpower and also as adding bilingual endorsement to your license, meaning that you're going to share those experiences in the classroom and help other students. Let's talk about some of the benefits of you being bilingual let's start off with like scholarships what kind of scholarships and access to dollars and grants what kind of opportunities have you had number one for being low income john right or having not having a lot of money and number two for being a person of color and being bilingual what kind of opportunities has it afforded you
3: for me, it afforded me for many opportunities, of course. I have to admit, for anyone who's in the similar background, you have to apply yourself, and you have to be open, trying to be open with different opportunities. I had applied many scholarships before I got the scholarship that I have now. It declined me, but anywho, I actually had to apply myself I have to be resilient and keep on applying these scholarships you know and also I saw some of the scholarships that I applied uh, they look oh do you speak another language are you first generation and it's like checking off check marks you know and for anyone who wants to apply for scholarships why advise them Apply multiple. Don't do not only focus on one because there are other participants who are competing right. for that scholarship.
0: So you see now in scholarships there's opportunities because you are bilingual. What about you, Yasmin?
2: So me personally, I never apply for scholarship. I know there's opportunities. I just don't know where to look at for those. And as I said earlier, I'm I'm not really the type of person I'm trying to push myself to learn to speak up and be, um, to get the information that I need to learn about, especially for, because I know there's a lot of opportunities to get scholarships.
0: So Yasmin, I know that you're also a paraprofessional. Yes. So I want to see you in my office next week because we're going to look at some of those scholarships. Even if you're not physically in my office, we can meet virtually, because there are lots of opportunities. There's minority teacher scholarships. There's scholarships for bilingual teacher candidates. There's scholarships for like early childhood teachers. There's opportunities for para-to-teacher, such as the para-to-teacher initiative that we have that's going to allow you to do your field experience and your student teaching job embedded so that you don't have to quit your job. So in order for all of those things to work, as you know, you got to fill something out. You, as John said, you have to do your research. You have to advocate for yourself. You have to move forward. You got to fill out some papers. You got to submit it. But those things are all beneficial to you. With the economy right now, I'm sure you'd love for that money that you're paying for tuition to shift to go to somewhere else. So we're going to make that happen for you. So we can schedule to talk next week so that we can work on those things. What about you, Edith? What other opportunities have you had?
4: I feel like for me, being a bilingual student, it has been very beneficial. Even when I applied for a job as a paraprofessional, I did work as a para for two years. And because I was bilingual and I was a native Spanish speaker, like I was given the job sooner um, in comparison to like the other people who were also applying for the same job and even like with previous experiences like I would be the one that would translate a lot for my school so a lot of the parents would like reach out to me like they already knew that I was the one that spoke Spanish so they would always ask like can you please transfer me to Miss Martinez like I know she'll understand me like she'll be able to tell you what I need so that was all like that always made me feel really good like about myself like you know like that I had people who depended on me or who needed me in order like you know to be able to translate and I'm like I wish like there was somebody like me when my parents needed somebody to translate for them so I felt like that has opened up like a lot of opportunities just like job wise and then thinking about scholarships like scholarships too like there's so many that always ask you like are you um Hispanic are you bilingual or are you a first generation college student And I feel like there's always so many scholarships that open up so many opportunities for you. And there are always so many things that you can do. And like John said, like always make sure that you're doing your research, you know, before you do start applying or even when applying to jobs, like you want to make sure that it's something that's not only going to benefit you, but it's going to benefit, you know, your community because you also want to find a way to give back to your community. So I feel like that's the best way.
1: So I want to ask... As you are candidates in elementary education, bilingual certification, and thinking about the experiences you had as students and thinking about the experiences your parents had when you were students in primary grades and on into high school. As teachers, what strategies will you employ to help your bilingual students, your immersion bilingual and multilingual students feel that they belong?
3: For working with bilingual students, one, you have to be explicit in many ways. It could be When it comes to bilingual or English language learners, you're not only dealing with Spanish, you're dealing with different other languages. So you could be uh, explicit, you know, with visuals and also try to use their language as a resource. And I find that using their language as a resource and something to work on with their English language development could help them feel confident in their English and also a sense of belonging
1: that's so important that sense of belonging I want to touch more on that here in just a moment but Edith Yasmin what do you think you will want to make sure you do in the classroom to help your emergent bilingual students know that they belong
2: so I currently work with bilingual students that are not they don't know English at all. And ways that I do to try to make them feel comfort. I mean, I think what what each teacher should do is I feel like we should not jump them into right away trying to learn the English language because I feel like that makes them close up right away because you're pushing them too much to like, learning how to, like, trying to make them read the English. Like, I feel like as a teacher, we should communicate with them in their native language and let them out of their own shell slowly. Don't rush them into things because I, I feel like that's just, I feel like it's just going to shut them down and having, like, different materials to try to help them improve in. If 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 you're teaching them in a certain way, you should be able to try different things to try to help them improve in whatever they're learning. Even making sure that you're giving them enough resources that they may need in certain certain things. Like I keeping in touch with the parents, letting them know their progress, and just like you know, keeping the whole the the child and the child's parents involved. And just I I mean my whole thing, I think, just having the appropriate materials to be able to teach the child.
4: What about you, Edith? I feel like
2: for me, like thinking about the classroom
4: and like the perspective of the teacher, I feel like it's really important to try to get parents involved. I feel like for me, that's really big. And it could be even like the simplest things like sending lo- newsletters that are in Spanish and in English or if you have a student who speaks a different language, I feel like that's like the best way to reach the parents and the students because it's like, my teacher acknowledges, you know, that I speak a different language and he or she is doing their best, you know, to reach my parents and to also get them involved or let them know what's going on in the classroom. I feel like for me, that would have been something really big and beneficial when I was in school because I wanted that involvement from my parents. And I feel like I never got that because, It's like I would try to explain to them an event that was going on, but it's like, okay, we get the event, but we're going to sit in a classroom realistically and not understand, you know, what the speaker is saying. And I feel like for me, that's something really big, like finding ways to not only like make students feel welcome because they speak a second language, but also just because you want to include the parents. Like, I feel like that's really big especially now for, you know, like emergent bilingual students, like they want that encouragement and the participation of their parents.
0: Right. I want, I want to chime in on that question too, Amy, as being a former bilingual teacher, one of the things that I did, I would grade the students on content. They would continuously make mistakes because they were learning, you know, so you get all the grammatical mistakes and all of those things. So less emphasis on correctness of grammar and more emphasis on correctness of the material. So being able to see through that, if they understand the concept and maybe you know, don't concentrate on the language I think is very important. The other thing that I did was advocate for my students. I know that their parents were not coming up to the school mainly because at the front office, it was like a brick wall. We didn't have anyone that spoke Spanish in the front office. So it wasn't a welcoming environment for our students. In fact, they were bused to the school. And uh, so trying to advocate for them when they went to other classes, following up with them. So I think any additional support that we can offer the students. So speaking of support, as college students, What can we do better at the college level to support candidates like you that are emergent bilingual candidates? Because you all are extremely fluent in both language. We do have students that may not be as fluent as you. We may have first and second generation emergent bilingual students. We have students like you that are first generation what can we do better to support you, Edith? I'll start with you.
4: I feel like for me, since I started um, being, or well, when I started going to Governor's State, I felt like I got so much support being a bilingual student. I really loved that, even like my advisor like acknowledged and she reminded me, like, "Hey, Edith, like you're a bilingual student. You know, it would be really beneficial if you were to get your bilingual endorsement." that would really help a lot of students especially if you went through struggles or challenges that they may be facing like you can be the perfect person to help them because you firsthand went through those experiences so i feel like at this point since i've been at governor state i feel like we've been given so much support being bilingual students and i do really appreciate that because just coming from you know a bilingual home it's like i said before like it was difficult for me to transition from being in high school to a college And trying to determine, like you know, what was right for me or what I loved, and for me, like my passion has always been teaching, and like being reminded of that, like even for my advisor, you know, it felt really nice because I'm like, yeah, like I want to be there for those students who I don't want them to go through the same struggles that I went through, you know, like I want to be there for them, and I want to show them that they they can do it, like as long as they set their
2: mind to it, like they can accomplish, you know, what they have. Yasmin, I think just like I know when you when we get a lot of announcements and emails, I noticed that a lot of the announcements are in the English language. So I feel like some of the announcements should be also sent out like in different languages for other students that may not be, I mean, they may understand what is saying, but not fluently.
0: Yeah, so to have that option where even if you can click a button for your preferred language, you could read that newsletter.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: This is, this is great advice that you all are giving. Do you have any final advice for us, John?
3: Yes. I feel that creating examples, mentorships, and, and student leaders who are like bilingual to help with the sense of belonging with many college students. For example, organizations like ALAS, like All Latin, the Latino Club for GSU and also people like me who is a peer mentor at the center for the junior year. I have worked with different students with different backgrounds, and I could recall my fifth week working as a peer mentor. I worked with an international student athlete, and it was a pleasant experience, you know, helping that student and providing the resources that he needed. So I feel like expanding, like, leadership roles in general at the university can help with the student's sense of belonging.
1: And I think just like what you were saying earlier, Dr. Joy, about, wait a minute, I know about scholarships. Let's talk. If more faculty, more staff made that connection and just had those conversations with students, I think that's a a great relationship that can lead to so many opportunities, whether it's with mentorship or scholarships or club or leadership opportunities. I think all of that is a great way to have a better sense of belonging. And I think what John, you, what you were mentioning about being a peer mentor and in the center for the junior year as well as some other opportunities really highlight what the university does do well in creating that sense of belonging? Are there other things that you want to make sure listeners, other students who are coming to the university who or who are already at the university who might be seeking some places to feel a better sense of belonging or a place to belong to. Are there other things that you might recommend that they do
4: or seek out? Go ahead, Eden. I feel like for me, something that made me really feel like I belonged, like when I started GSU, was joining clubs. I feel like that's the perfect way to get to know students And coming from somebody who never joined clubs and always kind of was more to herself, I feel like coming to GSU and taking that first step to like joining a club was really, really nice. And now like transitioning from being a member to being the president of a club at school was like a really big change for me. And I love it. Like I really love the club that I'm in. So the club that John was mentioning is called ALAS. So it's the Association for Latin American Students. And I feel like this club like really made me feel like I belong because I met so many people that not only share my experiences, but they share my language and they share like my values and my beliefs. And I feel like that's the best way to get involved in school as well. Like just join clubs and you get to meet so many people. And like not only that, but like these people show you like what it means to be a student. Like they also show you like the many different ways and opportunities that there are that maybe you didn't know about, like even scholarships maybe joining a sport or like, you know, they give you that encouragement that you probably don't get at home. So I feel like that's like one of the biggest things for me, like join clubs. Like that's, it was really beneficial for me being at GSU. Any other suggestions, John or Yasmeen?
3: Similar like either son join clubs and also expand your networks and communicate. And coming from me who. Is, who has a little bit of social anxiety and coming from a first-generation background, uh, I have to leave my comfort zone, ask questions, and also try to network different people, you know? Like, for example, Edith, like, she's in the same cohort group as me, and as well, like, being involved in the same club, we help each other out, whether if it's, Professional things like that, like perhaps like like for example, in alas, like Edith mentioned, there may be a student or an advisor who knows like certain information like scholarships, internship opportunities, job opportunities and and I feel that networking it has um, helped with my success and to be where I'm at right now right. so
0: those opportunities, putting yourself in those positions, in those spaces to network, John, has been very, very useful for you. You've really benefited from that. me. what advice do you have for mothers, for parents going back to school? And I mean, you're working full time, you're raising kids, you have a household. What advice would you give students that are like you?
2: To not give up. I mean, anything is possible to do. Yeah, it's gonna be a struggle, especially like for me personally, having three kids, a teenager, daughter, a smaller one, and not only that, but it's like I personally is it's a lot to deal with because like I have a daughter who's diabetic, so that's a lot to deal with, and having to deal with your own. You have to, your own personal school and then work. It's a lot to handle, but anything is possible if you put your mind to it.
1: I love it. I do too. And and just know that if everyone in your family, if everyone's on the same page and knows what you are wanting to achieve, then that support is there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Dr. Joy, I have learned so much and I know our listeners have too. It's been such a pleasure to talk to the three of you today.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed your time with us. It was amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson.
0: We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives
1: on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing?
0: We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice
1: win the match? I think it was theory probably this time uh practice until next time we're dr amy and dr joy